1: Today, we are gonna talk to somebody who thinks like us, who does stuff like us, and has actually had success doing those things. Now, that might sound strange, but my guest today is Jason Pereira. Now, if you don't follow him on LinkedIn, you need to, because he is all over the place. He is an award-winning financial planner. He's a portfolio manager. He's an entrepreneur, lecturer, FinTech expert, writer, host, and podcaster he's been on tv he, he does it all right which is magnificent and we're gonna dive into kind of the brass tacks everybody because i want everybody to understand that it's not just theory that we bring on to these podcasts we bring on people who actually do the marketing and allow themselves to truly get their name rise above the noise and be their own loud and really build their business so jason welcome to the show my friend all right thank you pleasure to be here now Let's start at the beginning, because here's the thing that I want everybody to understand is is you're actually a a pretty darn young guy. You have super amounts of alphabet soup after your name, and you are in Toronto, but you do stuff somewhat in the U.S. Is that correct? A little bit everywhere. A little bit everywhere. Good, good. (laughs) Let's talk about your journey. So obviously you are a student of being a student because, okay, so I just want everybody, I'm going to read these off. MBA, (laughs) he's got his master's degree. CFA, which very few of you have, CFP, which a good amount of you have, RFP, TEP, F, C, S, I, and C, I, W, M. Now, some of those are American, some of those are not, but let's talk about, first off, your journey and being a student. What, what makes you so fiercely passionate about financial services and continuing to sharpen your, your tools?
0: I'll go back, and those are actually kind of two separate answers. The first one goes back to how I landed in this industry in the first place. I basically, when I was in high school, decided that I didn't want to go off to university with no idea what I wanted to do for for a living and blow a bunch of money in an area that I didn't want to work in. There was a co-op program at my uh, high school, and I went in and said, hey, I'm interested in a couple of things, and the stock market was one of them because, of course, I was a teenage boy who thought money was awesome. Just so happened I got placed with one of the largest brokers in the country right in downtown Toronto and that turned from a co-op position doing some filing and basic basic admin to a summer position to a comeback anytime you have time off work and we will happily put you to work and you can do projects on the side if you want and we'll happily pay you for them. Literally went through high school, through university and had a job afterwards. And during that time, I did a little bit of everything. Graduated from administration on to a little bit of the, the advisor marketing, to financial planning generation, performance review generation, research, you name it. And by the end of it, I discovered that I really did not like the broker-dealer world in Canada. It was all about targets to be hit by the advisor and not by not, not, not actually measuring success in, in the life of the client and the impact there. But while I was there, I was fortunate enough to spend a bunch of time doing financial planning and seeing how impactful that was. And when I finally left there and got on my own, I realized, you know what, I actually don't know how to run a financial planning practice. And I actually only have a brief or, or subtle understanding of financial planning in general. And that led me on a never ending pursuit of continued self-improvement and depth of knowledge. And it's the old saying that the person who the the true hallmark of knowledge is knowing that you know nothing. There isn't a single year where I don't try to improve my depth of knowledge in in something related to this field. And it's largely because I found my passion. My passion is helping people live the biggest and the best and fullest version of their lives. Every time I encounter something that I don't have experience in, I at least try to understand to what level I don't have experience in and, and how to solve problems. So I'm never going to become the deepest expert in the most extraneous little thing when it comes to this industry, but I'm going to know enough to know enough about where to shoot and where not to shoot. I also had this personal goal of like, if you don't, I always found it weird when certain people felt that if once they finished school, they were done getting educated, like, Oh, I'm never, you know, I'm done school. i never have to worry about this stuff again. As if you learned everything you need to know in school, it makes Mm -hmm. no sense. So I committed myself to like one course per year Mm -hmm. and you compound that over time. And this is the end result.
1: Well, I love I I, and I absolutely 100% agree with you. The the more I study anything, the more I realize that, man, I just flat out don't know crap on the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. I love learning. I you know, I actively as you do, when somebody says something, I'm not the kind of person who's going to take everything at face value. I want to know more. Right. I mean, the, the opportunity for growth that we have. Whether it's, you know, practically, philosophically, from our, our, our actual profession, spiritually, whatever. It really is a never-ending way to continue to, to stretch yourself and, and learn. And because of your level of education and continuously educating yourself, you use media to talk about how you help people live their best life. So let's talk about, let's just dive right in.
0: Where did you start with media? Good question. I will go back and credit a professor of mine who, a well-known gentleman by the name of Moshe Molewski, is one of the foremost experts on longevity planning in the world, as well as a number of other financial topics and best-selling author. He, I took one of his courses. as the last course in my MBA. And I turned in my term paper. He actually emailed me personally afterwards saying how much he enjoyed it. And thought it was excellent. To mm-hmm. which the brash young individual that I was, I turned around and said, "Well, if you think it's that good, help me get it published." To which he, he coyly replied, "It's not ready for academia, but here is a here's the editor of one of the bigger periodicals for advisors in Canada." Mm-hmm. So he sent me over to him. That turned into me getting a column with them, and then that eventually led to more people discovering me and going into different areas of media. It's, it's a compounding effect, right? The more you become seen as an expert and the more people can find you online as an expert in various areas, the more likely you are to be called upon as an expert. Yes.
1: A lot of us started with writing. I remember uh, before I started podcasting or shooting video or really doing anything, I, I had an article in Horse's Mouth, which is still mm-hmm. just an amazing publication, and mm-hmm. I have it framed on my wall which led me to being in Investment News, Financial Planning Magazine, RIA Biz, and the same sort of stuff that you've been able to do here because you have used that to gain momentum. Now, you have gained more and more momentum, so let's stay on the the column, the writing thing. Is this something that you truly enjoy and that you have a passion for, or is it just something that you're good enough at that it's a great way to get eyeballs?
0: Well, it's definitely the former, but I will say this much that it's it's built, it comes a lot of times out of passion. And I will always say that I understand why Hemingway became, became a drunk every time I try to write something, because I actually <laughs> find writing painful, right? Mm-hmm. I actually find the the act of trying to formulate my thoughts into a cohesive 900 word article, which is what most of these newspapers want, painful. So that's the first piece. Now, I have less pain when it comes to writing longer form three, four, 5,000 word diatribes that tend to prove rather popular. And and I I say that I have less pain there because I'm able to express myself and get on more detail. So to me, it's, I'm often, a lot of my writing is fueled by either opportunity that I see something that I feel other people haven't written about, because I'm not one for typically writing about the next top 10 list of, that's been done to death a million times. I I prefer to just, this. no one's talking about this. Let me address it. A lot of it I say is fueled by either opportunity or rage. (laughs) So opportunity in that no one's done it. And therefore I think, it needs, but I think it's a value and people need to look at it from this perspective or, oh my God, I can't believe the other thing that got written about this or the general belief or the marketing of whatever X thing is. And this is how fl- fundamentally flawed the thinking is and just tearing it down piece by piece. Call it peer review work is a good chunk of what I do, but a lot of it is more so construct. I'd say that's constructive criticism as peer review, but a lot of it is also just like, what is, what is it that is not being discussed? And I often get cited, especially in my country where the thinking of, I will say in the industry is generally behind out of the US for writing about things that no one else is touching and talking about areas and issues that no one else is, is, is basically going to, because it's not the easy, low hanging fruit. Yeah,
1: we call that pick a fight within our system is finding uh, ideas, philosophies, products or services that are fundamentally against who you are and what you believe, and then writing commentary surrounding that. In our case, either that's social media or or a podcast. Now, you opened a can of worms here, and I wasn't planning on going in this direction, but you just said something (laughs) that I love, which is talking about something nobody is talking about. What are advisors talking about right now, whether that's in Canada or in the U.S. that has gotten you fired up, man?
0: I wouldn't say it's in the U.S. I feel like there's a lot of really honest discourse and dialogue in the U.S. And there's a lot mm-hmm. more there's, there's, okay, populations, 10x, roughly. You have more media periodicals for getting this stuff out there. There's. You have a bigger history of evidence-based investing and, and platforms and, and whatnot. And there's, there's a fiduciary responsibility, which just probably goes back to the core, at least on the RA side, which goes back to the core about why many of these conversations are being had. It's because if you're holding yourself to that kind of standard, then you have to be bluntly honest about where it's in violation or not. In Canada, we don't have that. We don't have, a fidu- we, you know, we have one tiny segment of the market that technically has a fiduciary responsibility, but we don't have a robust RA network. We don't have a journal. We have a couple of periodicals that do publish, that do publish specific advisor content, but more often than not, it's, we're still focused on like stuff you guys would have been seeing 10, 20 years ago. It's like a, tips on, on sales practices. I often shudder sometimes that some of these articles get published because what, what passes for research is abysmal. Or just simple example is, oh, how is the best way to take advantage of this one account that's designed for education funding? You have these three different funding patterns, and I'm going to test them all at 5% rates of return. That's it. Like, that's it. I'm sitting there going, like the academic side of my brain is going, what about every other possible return pattern? What about every other funding pattern? What about the sensitivity to this, that, and the other thing? Like, like, how many things are we we're, we're, oversimplifying to the point where people are thinking this is a valid, valid research piece when it's completely flawed, right? Or I've written many articles about the need for fiduciary responsibility in this country. I wrote an article over ten years ago about the need for banning of embedded compensation in this in my in my country, which by the way, most of our mutual funds get sold on the equivalent of a USB unit. A lot of people just cringed listening to this. And that that took over ten years before it got banned. I was being called out on stage in conferences as being a you know. A-S-S-H-O-L-E, uh, for having even written that. Luckily, we've gone so far as that that's no longer why people call me that. They call me that for other things. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the more, I'll tell you, the more popular, the most popular article I wrote all year was, and I'm sure you guys have one of these down. I know you have one of these down there called Wealthfront. We have a robo-advisor in Canada and discount broker in Canada that just basically pays for um, for marketing to just says, don't pay, you know, why are you paying an advisor? You're getting hosed. Like they, they attack advisors on every front. Now, don't get me wrong. I have pointed out a number of the things that they have said, which are absolutely true, and, and they're black eyes, and they absolutely need to be pointed out. But they have gone so far to the point of just eliminating the concept of value and advice altogether, and how flawed that is. So I did I did an entire piece on like why their their brand promise and how flawed it was and disassociation or the the denial of value when it comes to advice. And just for lack of a better term, turned, tore them a polite new a-hole. Mm. And at the end of it, I did a follow-up saying, look, I'm not arguing for their destruction. I actually think that they play a vital part in in options for Canadian consumers. I'm arguing for a better version of them and a more honest version of them that actually recognizes that it's not the quick thirty-second commercial get your attention truth that they're putting out there. That got me a lot of a lot of thank you emails for a small blog that I that I do not pay enough attention to. Quite honestly, got easily I mean, gets over ten thousand page views wow. for just that one publication. Right, so th- those are the kind of things that I that I, I pick fights on. Is when I think that people, when when I think the industry or the consumer in general is being misguided or being misled for for the for the self gratification of individuals or individual companies. Let's talk about television and video. How much video do you do right now? Not a ton of it. I mean, I am not the conventional person to go on the... The financial news media, right? I get these calls from time to time where like, we want you to come in and talk about your top ten, you know, stock picks. I'm like, I, I don't do that. Like, yeah. I don't do that. And I talk, to them like, let, let's talk about why that's flawed, right? And and then <laughs> then let's talk about where people need to spend their time and the fundamentals of financial planning and this stuff. And they, you know, they humor me and they're like, oh yeah, it's really interesting. You know, let let well, let me just give you some thought. And I never hear back from them. So that's not what I get a lot of. I get occasional opportunities to come in and speak on a certain topic. If you're not out there talking about how to make a quick buck, the media, the new television media is typically not not interested. Now, what I do have access to and I have started is um, a small cable network as basically uh, who I know the owners of. They asked me to put together a show on financial literacy, Hmm. even though I tend to basically cater to a very affluent client base with very complex planning needs. That's kind of like like the joke. Complexity is my wheelhouse. It makes me happy. It's a very, very basic fundamental, like we talk about one topic per day, I'm a talking head for about 10 minutes. I interview somebody else to, to add color to the entire situation. But we talk about one fundamental thing that people need to know. That does not have a lot of reach on the cable on the cable channel, but you recycle that on YouTube and like anything else. I mean, the great thing about video, and here's a secret tip for marketing for people out there. Video is actually multiple formats if you do it right. You take the video and you put it on YouTube and you put it on your website. You can repurpose the audio if it's done a certain way for podcasts, you can get a transcript done of the podcast that makes it searchable on on Google because Google doesn't do a great job of of searching audio. Frankly, you can take that one piece and you can slice and you can slice and dice it. And you can take out quotes and you can you can take out video clips of one 30-second video clip of this one point I made and use that and just recycle it. And what was a one-hour investment to make it happen can become countless hours worth of, of media for, for other people to consume, discover you with. And that's what we do
1: for a living here. So it <laughs> feels like a great commercial for uh, cause that's exactly, we, we take, we take the podcast uh, and we chop it up into lots and lots and lots of little bits and turn it into more searchable stuff and, and make the advisors sound an expert sound super wicked smart, put it in multiple media uh, things now, now. Okay. So, so, so writing, you've got you got your cable television thing. Now, let's talk about podcasting because you you have produced a, a pretty substantial amount of these. Why in God's name did you start doing that on top of everything else?
0: I have two podcasts, and combined, they're just shy of two hundred episodes actually. the first one just passes you know it's it's one fiftieth just aired as we record this. I've always loved podcasting ever since I discovered it, and I consume more podcasts and audiobooks than most people will will consume books in their lifetime already. I've always been one to not do be an also ran. I, I couldn't figure out an angle for how my normal business would be translatable to a podcast, so I, I never went there. But I always wanted to kind of do one. And then what happened was I got involved in the fintech industry in in Toronto quite heavily. That all happened because. As Toronto started to blow up as a FinTech hub, which is one of the top, like probably four FinTech hubs in the world and and probably the number one AI hub in the world at this point, I started reaching out to a lot of these companies and saying, hey, I would love if you guys were looking to do some sort of platform that allowed me to use your technology as an advisor. They'd always be like, How'd you find me? And I'd reply, Well, first name at url.com. All you tech people are the same thing. And they, they they laughed at that. And then they'd be like, Wait a sec, you're under the age of 60. You understand how technology works. You can use a computer. You're talking to me about other players in the game. You're talking about integration plays that can make, like, can we meet for coffee. And the next thing you knew, I was just, I had this network of, of fintech professionals in the city. And I was, And it was an interesting time because it was still early on. So a lot of advisors had a tremendous amount of animosity towards fintech because they saw them as a bunch of know-nothing, 20-somethings, basically working in their parents' basement trying to steal their livelihoods. But meanwhile, there was a major disconnect. These companies were looking to collaborate a lot of times with advisors, but couldn't even get a dialogue started. And what happened was I would just start correcting people's misconceptions in conversation. And sooner or later, people started saying, you know, we were thinking about having someone talk about fintech at this conference, would you be willing to speak? And the next thing you know, without trying, I had booked like three speaking gigs. And I was like, okay, I think I found something. And you know what, maybe there's something here in terms of a podcast. So I listened to the podcast that existed out there. Essentially, what I found was that all of the fintech podcasts tended to be at the time consultants who were talking about fortune 500 deployments, largely as a commercial for their services. And I said, there's no one actually looking at What is happening on the ground floor? Like, who are the players out there? What is the impact they're having in the space? And just letting them tell their own story, and that's where the idea for fintech impact came from. That's 150 episodes in now. It is top two or three, depending on where you look, on what podcast outlet in the world. It's a very small pond. You know, success is measured in 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 hundreds and thousands, not in not in hundreds of thousands. But it has also opened up board positions, consulting opportunities, speaking engagements, all kinds of things. So I have become probably the most recognizable name in FinTech in the country at this point when it comes to independent experts. The US, there's much more competition in the US. Uh, I I do show up on some radars, just not a ton of them. The second one is entitled Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. And that one came from, I was actually listening to Michael Kisses' podcast, which I refer to as the gold standard in our industry. Someone talked about how they developed their business specifically with a financial planning for for, for business owners of a certain type within a certain region. Like it was like in one state. And I'm like, huh, is anyone doing this in Canada? And I looked it up. I'm like, oh my God, no one is right. Like that was, that was perfect. I basically took that over, named it exactly what it is. And since then that one's about less than 40 episodes in, but already garnered some business from it. So it's been, it's been great for just getting my name out there as an expert in countless fields. And even if it doesn't bring in the the prospect, sometimes it doesn't bring in the prospect. Sometimes it brings in prospects. Other times I get nothing from it. But when when people, when prospects discover that that is something you're doing, the validity of, of who you are just goes through the roof. Like sudden your credibility factor just got a, a, a plus 10 easily.
1: Well, and everything, and, and since you've got this complete package, right? You've got all of the media covered, your credibility is is gone through the roof. But I have to ask this question because, I mean, I'm sure our listeners are, are, are sitting there right now going, how in the hell does this guy have enough time to still manage portfolios and be a financial planner? How do you balance all of this, Jason?
0: Well, I'm not gonna lie, the juggle is always a struggle, right? But the reality is, and I have this conversation quite frequently, Let's look at what a successful advisor is considered in many cases. A lot of times, a lot of advisors get to the stage where they're, they've are got their between 50 to 100 households, making their business successful. And they get their business systemized and streamlined to the point where they're not working five days a week anymore. They're working three to four. It's not uncommon in our industry. In fact, it's a goal for a lot of advisors in our industry is to limit the amount of time they spend at work. The difference between them and me is that I Tend, instead of consuming that for leisure, which I you know <laughs> don't give myself enough time for that, I tend to consume it with other passion projects. And those passion projects end up typically feeding back into the core business. The reality is is that with the client base I have, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's times where I got to work late and I've got a I week where I'm just completely slammed. But in reality, if I was to do this if I was to weigh it out, I'd say my job takes my core job takes between three to four days a week, leaving me between one to two days a week for everything else. Also, delegate everything, systemize, and simplify. I'm, as you can tell, I'm a I'm a, technif- I'm a technophile. I have found many very, very powerful technology tools to just very simply implement and make my life easier and faster and more efficient.
1: Well, let's let's close today's podcast by talking about some of the things that you outsource and delegate. What are some of the things that you've outsourced and delegated to make that so that you are really staying in your lane and being much more uh, productive doing what you should be doing instead
0: of what you shouldn't? Yeah. So let's define what I should be doing versus what I shouldn't, right? So the core business, what I should be doing is spending time with my clients, helping them live a better life. That's basically it. Now, all the heavy lifting involved with that, which is everything from the financial plan generation to the, to the investment management stuff. And just the administration has, in large part, been delegated out. Like I still have decisions on where the, the people are going in terms of investment. I have a associate planner who does most of the, all the we'll call it the, the the straightforward plans. I get involved in the complex planning cases, but he's trained up to handle a big chunk of that work. The reality is, I have that starts first and foremost with my team. I've got a business partner. I've got four staff members between that support system they handle the day-to-day heavy lifting, leaving me to the client relationship side and kind of the the leadership thinking in terms of where the business should go and, and the constant iteration tweaking of the machine, right? So that's that took a long time to get there and it's still not perfect. And we're, we're in the middle of an overhaul right now. So it's getting better over time. And in a year's time, it'll all even have, fingers crossed, more free time to spend on, on making it all work better. But it's like it's like Kaizen. It's continuous self-improvement to make that better. The podcasting, we outsource the podcast. Like I record them I, and I put them in a Dropbox folder and then all production, everything else gets taken care of for me. My associate handles the posting and, and everything else and the, and the, and the social media twi- uh, posts. Uh, even the marketing of my business, a lot of it gets automated. There's, there's social media marketing automation platforms like uh, I'll Plug Advisor Stream here, which handle a lot of the social media stuff I do, except for the stuff when you see me make very cynical comments. or or funny comments that's that's all pure me but a lot of it comes down to just focusing on the the inner human like the the human aspect of this right Mm -hmm. like i should be spending my time with people once i get the yeah don't get me wrong there's a certain level of due diligence on 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 the investment stuff that always has to be done and that that can be largely read and guarded through newsletters quite honestly spending time with people and reading should be where i spend the vast bulk of my time Amen, brother
1: well, that was perfect. I, thank you for walking us through all of those different components of, of how you have been able to uh, balance and in not saying that you're 100% always in balance because by your own admission that you're not, but that you have outsourced a lot of different pieces, how you're using uh, your writing, video, and also podcasting to help get your name out there and grow your business. Jason, I just, I mean, is there, are there any passing words of wisdom that you think that uh, that people here in the States or or in Canada need to pay attention to for this coming up year?
0: I'll go back to the term Kaizen. I think my life has been defined by always trying to be a little bit better every morning, right? And I think that's, you're not going to win that battle every day, but it's the old saying about you underestimate what you can accomplish in, in a year, but you overestimate what you can accomplish in a day, right? Or I flipped that backwards. So you always think you get more done in a day, but incrementally- Yet more and more and more. Like I didn't, I didn't start. No one birthed me into the level that I'm at now. This is all the the culmination of 20 years in the industry to get the the, the business to where it is. Taking at least one course per year. And don't get me wrong. There were moments where I'm just like studying and wondering to myself why am I doing this myself? And you just, you push, you, you say, you, you shut that little voice up and you push forward, compound that. And suddenly I've got more credentials that you can count. You compound the, the, the client growth. And suddenly you have the ability to, to, to not to focus a lot of hours on a small subset of people and make the money you want to make. You build the team that you need. You, you get the opportunity, you take advantage of the opportunities when they're presented to you. You start with one thing. I didn't start Started with writing, and then I got into podcasting. I got into television, right? So they they all feed into each other over time. And the goal should be with each of them. If you start something, figure it out the widget, make it efficient, focus, spend the time that is necessary on those things, and then pass off the rest to someone else, and you will find time to do ever more over time.
1: Jason, thank you so much for your wisdom and uh, really giving an inside look on how you can be truly productive and get your voice out into the marketplace, rise above the noise and truly be your own loud. By using different media, using one single point of media, like you talked about with the TV or the podcast and turned it into a whole bunch of different posts. Advisor Stream happens to be a good friend of ours here at Top Advisor Marketing. We love them. We think they do great work. If you guys don't know who they are, uh, please make sure that you look them up. Advisor Stream Full
0: disclosure, I'm an advisor to the company. So I, I, I'm not paid to plug, but yes. <laughs> I, I'm
1: not paid to plug
0: by them. I just think that
1: they're really freaking awesome guys. Their whole team. Oh, they are. Wonderful there. And I, I really, really do like what they do. And we've actually had them on the podcast uh, two or three times. So go back and search in our uh, channel, Advisor Stream, and you guys will be able to find it. So, Jason, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Matt. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. That way, every time we come out with a new podcast, will show up directly on your listening device. If you have any podcast topic ideas or guest ideas, all you have to do is email me, Matt at topadvisorm.com. And if you think that you can just utilize your voice about three hours a month and talk about the things that you're really truly passionate about and then do what Jason talked about, just hand it off to other people to help them build your social media, please give us a holler or email me or follow me on LinkedIn. So for Jason and everybody here at Top Advisor, this is Matt Hallern, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon.
0: Are you ready to change the way you communicate with your clients? Are you tired of being the best kept secret in your area? Learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your business. Contact us today and see what the power of podcasting can do for your business. Click on the Contact Us link on our website at topadvisormarketing.com and set up a call to learn more. Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook for more updates and information. This was brought to you by iris.xyz a platform helping financial professionals become better in business and life through new media and new voices. Visit them and learn more at iris.xyz.